1: It is live,
2: after all. Working at Lincoln Center, it sounds very huge and elevated. And that's what it feels like, like once you're working there. Because Rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are...
3: I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we
0: don't back away from anything. Welcome to volume 131 of Broadway Bullet. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we are wrapping up our marathon of nymph coverage. That's New York Musical Theater Festival with this volume seven. Of nymph coverage. We got some great stuff. We got the nymph shows A Little Egypt, Step, and Mud Donahue and Son. We also have got from uh, the alum Nymph Alum Show, uh, Altar Boys, Chad Doric of You're the One That I Want fame is now starring in Altar Boys and he's here with us to talk about his career in the show. So uh, we got that. Uh, Marty Cooper's back here with On the Positive Side. We got a bunch of stuff. So We're going to be back with some outstanding content next week. More off-Broadway, Broadway, Broadway, all sorts of stuff coming at you, including a composing team that uh, we just got word that they might be coming in very shortly. We're very excited. It's a blind item, huh? they got a show coming up soon. They've had a few hits in the past. I'm pretty psyched. But let's not waste any time and jump into this week's episode right now. On the Boards. Working character actors. They're uh, the people we see every day. We see them all the time. In every show, we feel like they're (laughs) our friends, but... Sometimes we just don't even know their names. And we've got two such people here in the studio that are acting in, and one of which also wrote the musical Little Egypt at Nymph. Uh, you've seen them everywhere, I guarantee you. It's Greg Lee Henry, or Greg Henry, depending on which medium he's working in. And Jenny O'Hara are here in the studio to talk to us about Little Egypt. How are you doing?
4: Very well. Very How
0: are well. you? Thank you. <laughs> it was, it was it was amazing. You guys have done so much stuff. I've seen you, you know, I've, I've seen Greg in many, many, many movies. Your villain in Payback has a real standout. Oh, thank <laughs> <In> my, <laughs> you. <laughs> it's the real resume. Greg Henry. I, yeah. I just want you to know that. And, and Jenny, I've seen you so many places that I feel like you're a friend. You're, you are like in that setup. You, I'm willing to go there. You've, you've done so many <laughs> roles in so many things, and people see you in their living rooms on stage and movies everywhere. All the time. Yeah. So, so, what what is Little Egypt about? Let, give us a little taste of that. You can start, Greg. Wow. <laughs> well, start. let me
4: let me let me you tell know. you about Greg first, so he won't be modest. <laughs> okay. He's starring in the show. He's producing the show. He wrote the music and the lyrics, which are sublime, both. And um, he also adapted the book from Lynn Seifert's play. Go ahead, Greg. I
0: see, he's also, <laughs> I, I, see, I see he's also repairing one of the costumes
1: for the yeah. performance. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I can clean his up the work, booth here, too, if His needlework
4: is exquisite. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, well thank you for that but uh, Ms. Um, the, the, the play is about uh, it's based on Li- uh, Lynn Seifert's play uh, Little Egypt which was a play that we did uh, produced and did out in Los Angeles about oh, gosh, uh-huh, 10 11 years, years ago, ago. Yeah, so, 10, remember. 11 years ago something like that Jenny O'Hara did the role of Faye then too and I, I always had this sort of quirky idea that the music would really make it uh, something different and, and, and wonderful and and um, uh, uh, so it's, it's about uh, it's three men, three women, all of them kind of lonely people. Um, two of them total social misfits, uh, and the social misfits end up, uh, end up finding each other. So it's a love story, but it's basically uh, everybody looking for love, and then what happens? <laughs>
0: so what was your inspiration towards musicalizing this? I, I, did, I just found out today, coming in, that you're a musician, and you've been doing quite
1: a lot of writing over your whole career as well um yeah well i I just don't know I, I, what it is is Lynn Seifert's language she creates such a world and such she has such unique language that it uh, it really sort of um inspired uh poetry if you will in in me and so uh it it just uh it spoke to me musically and so I just started to write uh i wrote one song um uh, Fishing for the Moon, when we were considering adapting it for a film years ago, and I wrote that to kind of be, uh, to follow a montage of the character of Celeste. And uh, and then pff, the idea went away for years and years and years, and then when I picked it up again, that song still fit in, and all the others just sort of started to started to come. You know? All right, well, why don't we play one of those songs that, uh, that you, this is a demo of yours, right? Right from the show. Do you want to set up this first song we're going to play? Uh, we're going to hear Nobody's Immune. Um, and uh, um, what is Nobody's Immune? Nobody's Immune. Well,
4: he's, he's frustrated. He's talking to his friend, uh, uh, his, fr- <laughs> his friend, you know, that guy, his friend, Victor. <laughs> and, Character Victor, and, yes. telling, you know, that, you know, life is just impossible and, you know, and who can manage it and who can control it. And mm-hmm. He it's right after this amazing long speech about how he got fired and he wasn't going to lose his temper so you know rather than (laughs) he just picked up the guy his boss and threw him somewhere and then (laughs) goes into this (laughs) so her language is just so amazingly wonderful and sometimes things like calls him his pit tootsie well what does that mean who knows but you know you know what a pit-tootsie is. I know.
5: It's, it's just—it's
1: it's kind of funny. Um, yeah, and he, he begins with this, this. It's kind of a kind of a philosophy of the character of Watson uh, that uh, that nobody is immune. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's take a
6: listen. I am world
7: or you can get them at the colonel you can get them with two sides you can get them with baked beans and a bun you can get them with corn on a cob and a bun you can get a bun and a bun but they look at you funny and it is a chicken Victor.
0: So, Jenny, what was it that attracted you to this this role in the in the show?
4: Oh, God, she's just... She's hilarious, this character. And she, you know, she could be really mean, but she's not mean. She says the most outrageous things, and she never, as, as our, our director, Elisa James, says, she never means them to land. It's just like frogs hopping out of her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and then in the next minute... She'll be very loving, and you know she's looking for love. She's got an open heart, very open heart, very almost child heart, covered by this tough can-do thing, and she, she's irresistible. And Greg wrote wonderful songs, yeah. wonderful songs for her, a lullaby uh, uh, toward the uh, latter part of the second act, which is just a killer. It's funny and heartbreaking, and as wonderful. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm kind of curious on your, on your thoughts of, you know, being, you know, steadily, you know, quite steadily working character actors in the business. Because it seems to me you got the best of both worlds. you got a lot of work. you got a lot of people knowing you. But you don't have the paparazzi running around after you <laughs> m- making
1: your life insane. Well, I don't miss Jenny. Jenny <laughs> fighting them off with a stick every day.
4: <laughs> people, uh, for me, it's so interesting. That, uh, because people think they know me. They really know me. And, uh, and so it's, um, are, are you, you teach- watching in the building. Are it was you like- teaching in such and so? <laughs> uh, they think I'm a neighbor, go to the same church, live down the street, uh, talk no. their children. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely a connection. And then the next question is, when I say, well, um, no, but, you know, I'm an actress. That's probably, it. oh, what have you done? Well, it covers a span of about 30 years. Where do I start? So I just say, you know, there's this website, (laughs) IMDB. You just put that up and you just see everything and then then you'll you'll figure out where you know me from. But it's very nice.
0: But is it as I envision? I mean, do, do you have all the nice benefits of? I, I met mean, you guys do so much that so you got to do pretty well as actors. I mean, yeah. maybe not raking in the twenty four million dollar paychecks that Wreath Witherspoon <laughs> with just landed for, but I, I would think you got to be doing very well. But
4: not steady, have the, steady, fabulous life. Yes, have been say.
1: been very lucky. I've yeah. been very lucky. Uh, it's 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 a it's a hard road, and when you can uh, when you can make a nice living at it, it's great. How long in your careers were you both working
0: each separately before you really started, like, feeling pretty comfortable and solid financially in your career as an actor?
4: Well, you sort of never do, but you do, you know what I mean? Because your life starts over with every job. And anything can happen. It's around any corner, so it's really interesting. You can be living lean for a while, and then, bang, you're making incredible amounts of money for a period of time. But I don't know. For me, from the beginning, it took me about—I was in New York for two.
1: Well, you had great success here in New York uh, very young.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I was determined that I was going to be on Broadway by the time I was 21. I had no basis for this, <laughs> I, was just, I was just, I thought that's how it should be. And I had just turned 22, so I was really pissed when I made my <laughs> debut with Alan Guinness in, in uh, Dylan, uh how many years ago? And uh, so it's been pretty, I mean, I haven't had to work at anything else since ever. So that was 64, so that's pretty good.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it was the same way for me. I was I was pretty pretty lucky pretty early. I had like really only one year uh, a- after I left uh, acting school that was, you know, a little rough with the various jobs and things. But after that, I I, uh, I got a show called Rich Man Poor Man Book Two, and so from that point on, I, I steadily worked. And but it's like Jenny says, there are lean years and there there are fat years. So you know, you, you, they kind of balance out, and it's a it's a great ride. Now, you, you like I said, I just found out myself that you you know you do been doing music
0: for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. With the type of roles you play, because I kind of associate it with you play a great bad guy. You've played other roles, but to me the real stand you know you, the real standouts have been you do some fantastic villains that you really give them a full life. That's a how hard is it to reconcile that image with your music sometimes when you go out and <laughs> i'm sure I'm not the only one who who sees you and thinks fantastic villain
1: <laughs> uh, yeah it's sometimes it's tough to pull off the ballads but uh but uh they're in there, you know, so I, I write them and do them anyway um it's you know uh the roles that you end up playing it's it's very funny you know' it's, uh, when I was younger i'd get, get the girl and ride off into the sunset, and then at a certain point, you know I started being the guy that was uh you know,
4: messing everybody the, the up. Got, got the got the
1: bullet in, in, in the head, and so uh, uh, it's it just sort of changed, you know. Um, but music and, and songwriting is it was always a part of my life, but it used to be a part of my life sort of as therapy, you know, uh, in my younger years. It was like, oh, I'm so sad, I'll write a sad song. Or, oh, I'm happy, I'll write a happy <laughs> song. And but it really in the, like the last ten years, I've, I've uh, really taking it seriously and uh, and and get up and write and work every day and, and work on the stuff all the time so that it's become um, uh, you know a much bigger part of my life and very fulfilling <clears throat> alright well let's play another song from your demo for Little Egypt uh, do you want to set this one up Um, This song is called Fishing for the Moon, and this is uh, me singing it out of context of the play, uh, but it is sung by the character of Celeste, uh, played by Sarah Rue. People, audiences might know her from Less Than Perfect or Popular um, on television. Uh, And Celeste is is back home uh, after being away at college for 12 years. Um, And she comes back home. And we, this is sort of the first time we get a glimpse of, of her feelings about why she left and, 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 and kind of why she's back and who she is um, and, and her relationship with her father, which is sort of a motivating factor for Celeste in the, in the play. All right, well, take a listen.
6: Sometimes okay. I'm gone before you know it Sometimes I'm gone too long When I come back, you say I've blown it Maybe right You may be wrong But I used to say I love you And I used to call you mine And I used to call this home Was before The time I used to have to go out walking. I used to use you to dance to my own tune. Now, by all the water underneath these blackened bridges, fishing for the moon. Fishing for the moon Fishing for the moon Sometimes it's just crazy To go searching for the source Up the river to the heart Up the river in the dark Splattered up and out Half flattered Still filled with doubt When I throw out this line Where were you When all this happened and I used to say out of you and I used home. schooling in the world just to fool myself You say I've always known, you say I've never left You could be right You could be right I used to say I used to call you mine And I used to call this home That was before the time I used to have to go out walking And I used to My own tune up by all the water underneath these blackened bridges. I'm fishing for the moon, I'm fishing.
1: Anything else coming up pretty quickly that you'd like to let our listeners know that you're doing? Well, I go back. Uh, I fly back Saturday. On Monday, I start the second season of The Riches so uh, on FX um, with Eddie Izzard and Minnie Driver. Another great villain. Uh,
7: God,
1: <laughs> <isn't he? laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that because we've got some great great scripts. The, I've just read the one, and I've got two more this morning, so uh, um, I'm very anxious to go to work on that, so uh, that's what I'll be up to next. And-
4: I have no idea. Really? Yeah! Which is kind of, I gotta say, sort of one of the thrills of, of this. Uh, both of my daughters are now in college. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> 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 they, they've both just uh, gone off this fall, so... Uh, and my husband was off in Santa Cruz doing Shakespeare all summer. And I'm just kind of stepping off the, oh, my God, can I get him into school train? So I don't know what's going to happen. I, Something I, good. It's kind of pretty exciting. I see uh, an open field ahead of me and a lot less stress. So I don't know. I have money. Who cares?
5: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Whatever <it> turns off
4: <laughs> is going to be just fine with me.
0: Jenny O'Hara and Greg Lee Henry, thanks so much for coming on Broadway Bullet and talking about Little Egypt and your various careers, and I wish you the best of luck in the run. Um, How many dates are there left to
1: catch? There are only two shows left. Uh, This festival, you know, it it hits you like a whirlwind. Um, Wednesday night, uh, uh, the 3rd at 8 o'clock, and Friday the 5th at 4.30 at the Acorn Theatre.
4: And you have to buy your tickets ahead of time. You have to buy your tickets online. Yes. You cannot come up to the box office. We were stunned to learn, and many of our friends were also stunned to learn. So, And they're like 20 bucks yeah, a Yeah, so pop. go to the it's website,
1: uh, the Nymph website, and that's the place to buy tickets. Order
4: them tickets. online. But it, it's, it's so worth seeing. It'll break, you, break your heart and make you laugh so hard. All
0: right. Well, thanks so much. All right.
4: Thanks. Up.
0: We've been starting to see the impact of You're the One That I Want with cast members appearing in Nymph, but we also have one of the final four that's appearing in a show that came out of Nymph, The show is Alter Boys, and Chad Dorick is now one of the starring members of the show, and he's stopped by the studio right before he runs over to perform tonight. How are you doing?
8: I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah.
0: So, I understand you're an actual Broadway Bullet listener.
8: I am. Yes. You are on my iPhone. (laughs) Since before we booked you, right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
0: (laughs) So... You're the one that I want. Let's kind of, I'm sure a lot of people are wondering about that whole experience,
8: especially since you got a lot of FaceTime and made it to the top four. I'll tell you what. It was one of the best experiences I've ever had personally and professionally. Um, It was incredibly difficult. It was um, a lot, a lot, a lot of hard work, but it was a lot of fun. And I got a lot of really great relationships out of it. And I wouldn't trade it for the world.
0: So now, a lot it had a lot of mixed reaction right.
8: <laughs> yeah. amongst uh, theater fans. It did, which is interesting to me. Um, you know, I just got into a discussion with one of my castmates uh, a couple nights ago, and he was saying how it thought it sort of sold out the audition process, that the audition process is sort of a holy thing that shouldn't, you know, be played with and I just have to say going in I was a little skeptical about the whole reality show thing Um, I thought it was sort of people looking for a shot at fame or looking for one chance and not putting in the work but having been on the show I know for a fact that anybody who wins any reality show has to be first of all focused driven willing to do hard work and you know a winner to actually win or succeed through one. There's no way. We were in the same building as the American Idols. And so we shared a hallway. Our dressing rooms were on one side and their dressing rooms were on the other side of the hallway. And we just look at each other and be like, I know. I know what you're going through because uh, it was really – it's a really trying experience and it's really hard on your nerves. So I now have to completely retract my previous opinion about – who was on a reality show and what the winners got because the amount of work and ganas that goes into it is is really incredible. See, I, I don't watch
0: many reality programs, not because I have anything against them. It's just I, I usually can't stand all this endless
8: stretching. Especially, oh, yeah.
0: Especially when it comes time to reveal who stays and
8: who goes. Right, it's and just... cut to a commercial break. <laughs> Please. Now, let me tell you something. You can't stand it? Try being on one and then cut to a commercial break.
0: I've heard those are like all-day affairs, too, actually,
8: beyond the, the elimination days. No, we – well, they're all-day affairs, but our shows were all taped live. Okay. Um, so we were in and out in the two – our commercial teching breaks
0: teching it uh, – do, do they tech the, those things, though, or
8: – Yeah. Not on your shoot day, though. Okay. We would get maybe a, a run-through on your shoot day. We would tech the day before. Um, you know, there was very, very little amount of time spent on the stage and spent in the rehearsal process for the contestants. We probably individually got about two hours worth of professional help every week, which is not a lot. To be performing on stage in front of millions of people, live <laughs> television, <laughs> national network. So I I think that's a real testament to my other competitors and uh, comrades that were on the show because nobody messed up, nobody forgot lines, nobody you know choked under the pressure, and we had very little time. We were learning five, six, four, five, six numbers a week with complete choreography, with harmony, and you know our careers we felt were you know on the line. And so that's a lot of pressure and a lot of information to be processing. So for all the doubters out there, (laughs) you know what I mean? We worked our butts off. And a lot of us had put in the time we'd gone to conservatories and whatever, and it was just another audition.
0: Well, you know, despite the fact that I don't really watch many reality shows, I do think this is a a really good thing, actually. Um, I personally find that I'm, I'm guessing that probably the people on here are more qualified than the average person that was in a, you know, supporting role in a sitcom in the 80s. Right. And let's face it, you know, Broadway and theater always needs, they need to cast some people that, you know, somebody in, you know, Oklahoma
8: or Ohio might recognize and know and get some in, so. Absolutely. I mean, there's sort of a backlash today, I feel, with Broadway performers, um, Talking about how um, they they feel like the stunt casting that goes on is you know unwarranted, but I disagree. I think that oh, theater. I think all theater fans all will hate it, but I understand it. And, yeah, I, I don't know how. <laughs> I mean, you know, an actor is an actor, and just because look, any producer in the world will tell you that getting a job has nothing to do with how good you are. It's who you are in the room, how good your audition was, how you pair up with the person that they're casting opposite you, what you look like, how tall you are. I mean, there's a million things that go into getting a job. So just because a TV star might be a little less qualified than somebody who's done five Broadway shows doesn't mean anything. They're going to bring in new audience members that are going to support the rest of Broadway for our whole career. You know what I mean? Somebody who might have never gone to a Broadway show... We'll go see Greece because Max and Laura are in it. And then hopefully they'll come over to Alter Boys.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, now, Alter Boys is pretty, you know, legendary for you guys hang around and
8: chat with the fans afterwards. We have a great fan base. And, you know, we like to go out there and honor them like they've honored us. It's, you know, it's a very sort of um, family-driven Musical, So we feel like a family of the cast, and the the fans are part of the family, too. So we just like to honor that, I think.
0: Now, when you go out there, in the, in the three weeks that you've been in the show already, have you noticed the people turning out to, to catch you because they saw you on the yeah, show?
8: Yeah, every night somebody comes up to me and says, I'm here because of you, I wanted to see the show because of you. I, I mean, that sounds... Uh, braggedly but it, I'm I'm just saying that they'll say that they saw me on the TV show, and that makes me feel good because I feel like I'm doing you know the show did the Broadway community well. So now, what what was your history before you're the one that I want? Well, I um, I started acting when I was pretty young, and um, I was a TV and film actor. I've done dozens and dozens, dozens and scores of commercials. Um, I'm from Los Angeles, so. Um, I did that, and then when I got into school, high school, I kind of, like, tapered off a little bit. I went to the Orange County um, High School of the Arts, which is the same school that Susan Egan, Stephanie Block, Matthew Morrison, Crystal Rodriguez, who's in um, Chorus Line right now, Lindsay Mendez, who's Jan and Grease. We all are familiar with each other because of our this incredible high school we went to. And so I got my musical theater training there really and then I started studying with a great acting teacher, Gloria Gifford, and a fantastic voice teacher, Evelyn Hallis. And so that's my sort of professional background. Uh, my very first job was the Oingo Boingo video for the title track of the movie Weird Science. That, you must have been pretty young. <laughs> I was six. <laughs> <laughs> I was six. Yeah, my aunt produced that video, and uh, they ended up casting me as some little, you know, little boy yelling at Danny Elfman. It's pretty funny. So uh, have you spent a lot of time in New York before this show? Um, I hadn't spent a lot of time. I'd come out to visit a lot. I got to tell you, I'm a California guy, like straight up and down. I really enjoyed the city. I really like New York a whole lot. I'm having a great time here. But my idea of a good time was being at home, you know what I mean? I'd come out for a week and visit, audition, get flown out for a, a you know, a concert here or something there, but I, I'm a California guy.
0: So with Alter Boys, was this
8: something that you auditioned for, or did they reach out to you? It was a little bit of half and half. Um, I had auditioned for a musical in Los Angeles, and at the second call back, the New York casting director flew out to see those Um, Actors And the New York casting director was Dave Clemens, who casts Alter Boys. And Dave asked if I had an extra headshot, because he thought he would give it to the Alter Boys people. And I was like, sure. Never heard from him again. And then a month later, I got a call. They were interested, wanted to see if I'd come out to New York. I couldn't. So the director was going to be in Los Angeles. I met with the director in L.A., and then we ended up coming out to New York (laughs) for the job.
0: So... uh what are some of your backs behind the scenes that never made it to air? Were there any great stories, anything that happened during your "The One That I Want" that just didn't? make Wow,
8: it? you know what? I'm not sure if any of those are fit to broadcast. This is not FCC. <laughs> is. It's spew away. I know. Um, <laughs> you know, I have to say that the something that w- was sort of. Not declared on the show that they did never see, they tried to make us of course into characters so people could relate to us shock it's entertainment right exactly, <laughs> and we all knew that going in. nobody had any like maybe i don't know if we all knew it, but yeah. at least I knew it going in um I've seen contracts for those. Re- i haven't seen the i've seen the American Idol
0: contract i haven't seen that and it's. It's interesting or scary, depending on how you... Right.
8: (laughs) You know, so the, the interesting thing is, is that every day, they would take us in a room and ask us, what are... You know, my other competitors were Max and Kevin and Jason, and they'd be like, what are Max's weaknesses? And you couldn't PC it. You couldn't say, well, I think Max's weakness is his confidence or something like that. They'd be like, no, tell us his weaknesses. And you'd have to give him a weakness, something that you thought he had to improve on. And then what are his strengths? Why do you think you're better than Max? (laughs) Why do you think Max is better than you? What does Max have to... And they just make us sell each other out every single solitary day. (laughs) So a lot of that stuff that looked like backbiting on the um, TV show was kind of provoked. But, um, you know, we tried to do it as politically correct as possible and not ruin the relationships at least some of us did there were some of there were a couple people who went no holds ball no holds barred on it and that got a little unfriendly but beside that everybody was friendly and and easy to get along with and easy to work with
0: well maybe to to save your name and based on that what what guy in the program do you felt do you feel really deserved to beat you but didn't or place higher than you
8: um. Wait. What guy do I think deserved to place higher than me, but didn't? Yeah. That's a terrible question. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> what am I gonna say? <laughs>
5: well,
0: you know, you, everybody I think runs across the people that like you. You can have confidence, but still think that that you know that person. I really can't believe Look, that I made it. <laughs> you know,
8: on the show they called me Ambitious Danny. <laughs> And one of the reasons they called me Ambitious Danny was because I was so competitive. And so I'm not sure that I want to name names in that way because, you know, I, I, I'd like to think that I worked as hard as I did. Uh, and I think that we all landed where we landed because it was the right thing to do. So I'm I'm not going to go into shoulds. <laughs> I won't go into shoulds. <laughs> I don't know. That's a hard question. Okay. Well, maybe this one's a little easier. What girl don't you think got enough attention on the show? That's very easy. Two of them. I think that Allie Schultz, who came in third, uh, fantastic performer, um, I just don't think she got enough praise for the excitement she had. Every single solitary week she came in and did something a little off the cuff, a little exciting, and and it was always entertaining and a little unexpected where some of the other performances were really on the nose and on the money and safe. I really enjoyed watching Allie because it was it was very exciting. And then Kathleen Monteleone, um, who came in fourth, she um, she's a great actress, and you can just totally feel everything that comes through when she opens her mouth. and And they did give her praise for that. I just hope that somebody else does outside of the the show because she's a fantastic actress.
0: So, what was the first real touristy thing you did here? for this run man the, the embarrassing touristy thing have you done anything yet I've done a lot of embarrassing <laughs> things I'm not sure if
8: they fit to touristy um okay well I ha- I've i only taken the subway once by myself Is that, <laughs> does that count that counts as because I'm me yeah. <laughs> I just don't know where the hell I'm going so I'm, I'm I've been on it many times but usually with a friend Helping me. So I got on it uh, yesterday for the first time. Like, okay, here we go. Take the giant step. And I ended up missing my stop, but made it to my destination. You know, you can ask people for help, and most people will. <laughs> I'm scared to ask for help. I'm so scared to ask for help. I walked by a guy today on the street, and there were two guys, and they stopped this other guy in Midtown. And they said, um, Where's a good restaurant around here? And the guy was like, uh... (laughs) He didn't know anything. They said, are you from here? And he said, yeah. He said, where's a good restaurant? No, no. (laughs) So I'm not trying to ask for help. I'm trying to... I got a Google map on my phone, so I just kind of Google map it a little bit and, you know, (laughs) focus in that way instead of asking perfect strangers. So any Broadway shows you're looking or or off-Broadway shows that you're looking to catch while you're here? Oh, my God. So many. Um, I just saw a Chorus Line, which was really good. I want to see Marushes. Marushes. I, I don't know how to say it. Marushes, right? I'm not sure myself. <laughs> no. I just sat next to Bobby Cannavale for a little bit, and he—that's how he said it. I think so. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. Right. I don't know. I really want to see that with F. Marie Abraham, and um, I. You know what I want to see, but I don't know if it's still out. Is In the Heights still playing? It's coming back, so. Oh, I can't it's wait! February, I believe, is when it's scheduled to open oh, on Broadway. I hope I'm still here because I um, just caught it on MySpace the other day, and that looks amazing. Did you see it? Yeah. Did great, you like it?
0: Yeah, I think it's a very promising program. The choreography, if it had been in the, if it had been in the running for a Broadway this year, it would have won hands down. Even really? if it was, yeah. So.
8: <laughs> yeah, I really want to see that. And is there anything else I want to see? I've seen a lot, um, but there's, there's one other show that I really, really want to see, and I
5: can't remember what it is. Oh. <laughs> well, if that people was are really looking to radio. catch you,
0: I know you're, uh, <laughs> you're <laughs> in an open-ended run here with Alter Boys at the moment, right?
8: Yeah, open-ended at Alter Boys. Um, I'm just really excited to be a part of the cast. They've really been treating me well, and the fans have been treating me well, even despite my costume. So that's <laughs> the, the the loyal fans had a little uproar about the costume, but hey. <laughs> All the Matthews have worn blue jeans and black shirts prior to me. And then Stafford Arima, the director, came in and decided that he wanted to change it a little bit and update it a little bit. So now I'm wearing black black jeans, pinstripe shirt rolled up, a tie and a vest. They wanted it to look a little like Justin Timberlakey. So uh. You sing "Sexy" back. I do actually. That's,
0: <laughs> in, the, that's in the encore. <laughs> <laughs> All
8: right. So, um, and remember, fans can catch you if they hang out by the stage door afterwards. To- Absolutely. I hope they do. Yeah. We're always there to sign autographs and take pictures, and it's a it's a good time. Well, Chad Doric, I thank you for coming by and chatting thank about much. Ultra
0: Boys and your experience. And you're the one yeah. that I want. And- it's
8: it's a it's a great experience, and I'm glad that the the industry has opened its arms to the you're the one that i want people ashley's in hairspray right now kathleen's performing in long island um people are performing all over we had three people in in the nip festival and we've got two guys going down to do a tale of two cities so i'm i'm really glad that they are recognizing the hard work and, and talent of these people
0: All right. Well, best of luck in the rest of your career and the rest of your run.
8: Thank you so much. I hope to see you there. Yep.
0: All right. Bye. The
8: Call Board First up on the call board, Wicked
0: Wannabe Contest. Orange and Wicked have launched a campaign for all budding theater wannabes in the UK. Orange, to celebrate their official sponsorship of the West End production of Wicked, are offering a walk-on role in the West End production. All you have to do is visit orange.co.uk slash wicked and pick up your favorite Wicked excerpt and make a video of yourself singing along with it. More information, visit the Orange official website and enter to win. Then, Two's Company, an all-star event celebrating the music of Stephen Schwartz and Alan Menken. The show will be performed at the Alex Theater in Glendale, California on November 5th. The show is, as it says, a celebration of Alan Menken and Stephen Schwartz and both stars such as Alice Ripley, Rena McKenzie, Sarah Rue, and Kevin Spirtas. The one-night-only concert, hosted by Cindy Williams, will benefit the Los Angeles City County College Theater Alumni and Associates and the Los Angeles City College Theater Academy. Oh, those must be some acronyms that are a mouthful. Okay, then, three discs, three divas. Record label PS Classics will team up with Barnes & Noble's popular Live at Lincoln series for three consecutive days of in-store performances and signings beginning November 6th in celebration of the three PS Classics solo albums being released that day. The discs are Victoria Clark's 15 Seconds of Grace, Andrea Burns' A Deeper Shade of Red, and Lauren Kennedy's Here and Now. The events will take place at Barnes & Noble Lincoln Square location at 1972 Broadway at 66th Street in Manhattan. And the call board is sponsored once again by me, I do a lot of recording work and production, vocal, uh, music, a bit of everything. If you know someone in Manhattan or New York looking to record, or you yourself are looking to record, uh, my rates are reasonable, give you great quality, and I work with all styles. Not just musical theater, but uh, pop, rock, R&B, a little bit of everything. So uh, give me a buzz at 646-345-3433 to discuss your project, or drop me an email at info at com. On the
6: boards.
0: Musical theater's not a whole lot of fun without dance, and Nymph recognizes that, and there's also on the slate a bunch of dance-oriented musical theater pieces, one of which that has been selling quite well, from what I understand, is Step, and we have three of the people involved in the creation of Step with us here in the studio today. How are you doing? Good. okay. Would you like to introduce yourselves and say what you're doing with the show so people can connect your names and voices? Uh, Yeah, my name is Harrison Rivers, and I'm the book writer on the project.
2: My name is Maxine Lyle, and I'm the choreographer on the project.
9: And my name's Eric Louie, and I'm the producer on the project. Now, Eric, th-
0: you've produced something else
9: before, I believe. Yeah, I did Kingdom last year. Which yeah, is a-
0: yeah, that's right. You were in here last year with us for that. Yeah, last year for the hip-hop <laughs> rap musical about the Latin Kings. So yeah. you just can't get enough of NIMP. Can't huh? get
9: enough of NIMP every year. <laughs> Keep coming back.
0: <laughs> so I guess the first step, of course, is to tell us a little bit about Step.
2: Well, step dance is a very old art form that originated um, back in South Africa in the late 1800s, and it started in the gold mines of South Africa, actually, um, with gumboot dancing. Gumboot dancing is um, a cultural dance that miners used to perform sort of as a way to connect with one another. They were working under very strenuous conditions in the mines, and they couldn't, see, they couldn't talk, and so they used rhythm to, to basically communicate with one another, and they would slap the sides of their boots to create a language. And so that was adopted here in the United States um, in the fraternities and sororities on black college campuses. And there's evidence of stepping going as far back as the 1920s here in the U.S. Uh, it's really become a great Urban underground art form um, that a lot of uh, young people use to build and forge community and just express themselves in a new way.
7: And that's what our musical, also called Step, like the step dance itself, is really about. It's about these dancers sort of telling their stories and their experiences with step and the history of step, um, sort of through step dancing and music and and text.
9: And it's also about bringing the audience into it, too, because Step, as an art form, really is sort of something where there is a call and response, there is a connection with the audience. We we want the audience a
7: part of the show. Um, we invite the audience, really, exactly. to be a part of this, the show. Vocally, they sort of... Um, the energy that the audience gives, the dancers feed off of, and so that becomes sort of this new dynamic that mm-hmm. you can't really plan for. Yeah. You can hope that it exists, and I think that with the material that we've worked on, there's definitely going to be... There's going to be sort of a, a palpable energy in the room when the show is happening.
2: It's definitely a dialogue that both the yes. audience and the performers are a part of.
7: Yeah. So,
0: Stomp the Yard. Was it accurate? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yes. He just it's,
7: said Stomp the Yard. This is
2: not Stomp the Yard. <laughs> totally not Stomp the Yard. Um, we are staying as true to... The art form as possible in this piece. And this piece really showcases the art form.
7: Well, there's no like editing or jump cuts (laughs) in this show. I mean, you're seeing the step dances (laughs) and the sequences from beginning Uh, to end. I'm not
2: from the South. Oh, no,
7: no, no, no. I'm actually wondering
0: (laughs) Did Stomp the Yard capture some of the culture of step I think Stomp the
2: Yard did capture the the collegiate culture that step comes out of. Um, But in terms of the highlighting form. and celebrating the art form itself, I think some of that is sacrificed. Well,
7: it wasn't the story they were telling right. necessarily in that right. particular movie. I mean, they were using step dancing as a way to sort of forward the other story, sort of, right. you know, this young man comes of age and blah, 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 blah. Right. And our show is really about the art form dance. and yeah. about sort of celebrating the art form and, and sort of celebrating the people who are engaging with that art form and encouraging and sort of inviting everyone else to also be a part of it. Right.
2: If you've never seen Step before, this show will introduce you to Step.
7: Now, I understand, Maxine, that this has
0: been like a dream project of yours for a while.
2: Yes, definitely. <laughs> this is a long time in the making for me. I actually um, am the artistic director of a Step, a professional Step troupe um, that formed about uh, two years ago, and we've been working to develop a larger piece. Uh, so this is Definitely a treat, dream come true for us.
0: And Harrison, what is your challenge, or what has been your task been in writing this for this dance piece? Or is this more vignette oriented, or is there an
7: actual through storyline? Or what are you? I think it functions both ways. I mean, I think it it is sort of vignettes and it's a bit episodic, but sort of step and this idea of the beat and of sort of the beat being in each one of us, each person, and sort of that that beat comes out. Um, is sort of the through line. Um, there have been lots of challenges, um, but they've all been really wonderful. I mean, I think initially I got this phone call, and the phone call was like, do you want to write a musical? Um, can we need it in three weeks? And I was like, what? So, I mean, that was an initial challenge, sort of the time constraints. And then we've just sort of been creating this piece in the rehearsal room, like, as a group. So, I mean, there are challenges with that, like, how do we communicate, like, oh, this needs to change, or that needs to change, or can we take it in this direction? Um, It's been a wonderful collaboration. I mean, I don't think I've ever grown so much as an artist. as just working with Maxine and Eric and the rest of the crew, Amissa Miller with Dramaturgy and Alicia. Uh, mm-hmm. Diana House sort of helping us out with some sort of consulting on the directing and, and Martin, Martin um, bringing in his directing skills and the Steppers themselves bringing in sort of their personal experiences. I mean, it's Composers. really been fascinating. Yes. Yeah, and, and Wayne. <laughs> yeah. Now, so the music is live too? It is?
2: Yes, yeah. we'll have uh, two um, musicians on stage for the piece.
0: Yeah. Do you incorporate them into the action as well As since they're on stage or are
7: they... Um, well, the music definitely informs, informs the stepping and informs sort of where the text goes. So there's definitely a dialogue. I mean, that dialogue idea continues even amongst sort of the steppers and then the actors who are performing the text and then the music. So there's definitely a very um, sort of a, di- a dynamic dialogue there.
0: All right. So Eric, any uh further plans with this or are you, uh... uh
9: Yeah, we're moving to Broadway now. <laughs> <laughs> uh no, I mean I think we have we have two sold out houses already. We've extended. We have an eleven o'clock performance that we're selling now. Um I think there's an interest in it and I hope it uh we have a life ahead of this.
0: So Eric, as a producer, what, what do you get out of doing nymph shows?
9: Um I think it's a great showcase for new work. I mean not to sort of let the cat out of the bag, but we're all in our mid-20s. I mean, we're sort of putting this piece together because we believe in it. And I don't think there is a showcase that sort of allows young producers, young writers, young you know directors, choreographers, and actors to have a platform to show their work where the actual media and the industry will take attention to it. Right. I think that's what NIMP provides. I mean, if we had done this show on our own at a small space, we wouldn't have gotten nearly... Any of the attention, the sold out houses that we've had so far, so that's sort of the exciting thing about *Ninth* and why I'm back again this year.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks so much, Maxine Lyle, Eric Louis, and Harrison Rivers. Best of luck with *Step*. Oh, we gotta say the dates. We have to uh, say the yes, dates. Yes, we have.
9: Uh, we're at the 45th Street Theater. Right. We um, have two sold out houses on Sunday,
2: Sunday, September 30th, and then on Saturday, October 6th at 11 p.m.
0: All right. So, wish you the best of luck with that. Thanks
6: Thank
10: so much. Thank you. On the positive side. Hey, this is Marty Cooper once again. On the positive side, uh, once again, I'll start my portion by saying if you have any opinions or comments or suggestions, email me at BroadwayMarty at AOL If you remember the last segment I had, I started talking about key value of shows. And I did mention Greece. I passed by the theater tonight on the way here. And there was a line waiting to get into the 7 o'clock show. I think Greece is one of those shows that no matter how you stage it, no matter how you do it, people will flock. It'll bring those bridge and tunnel people into New York. As does Jersey Boys, of course. That's another instance. Uh, I don't think Jersey Boys, if you didn't know what they were talking about, if people had no idea, and there are a lot of people in, in today's generation that have no idea who the four seasons were. I think that show is run on merit alone. Of course, you walk down Broadway and you see Mamma Mia and the music of ABBA, and people will flock to that show. Wicked is one of those shows that, if you mentioned the title, they wouldn't know what you were talking about. But a lot of people knew the book, and the fact that it's a Wizard of Oz backstory, they're going to go see that, and especially after it opened and all those little chickadees, as they call them, found out you had all these belting alto songs in the show, they flocked to see that. And I think that's what brings the audiences in. I think the 11 to 19-year-old female crowd is going to see Wicked. I mean, mean, among other people, I think it's a fine show. I don't think it should be reduced to that. If you walk down Broadway and you see uh, Oprah Winfrey presents color purple, just Oprah being up there all by itself is enough to draw people in. I was walking down Schubert Alley the other day and I saw a picture with a leaping child in jeans and a and a cap and a T shirt and it said Billy's coming, September seventeenth, two thousand eight, Imperial Theatre and I think that's one of those shows where all you need is a trademark. I think people will I think it'll be one of those trademarks as Les Mis is, as Phantom is, as Miss Saigon is, that will just draw people because it got very good notices in London. And there are a lot of people that make it over there just just to see that show. I've seen it twice. I can't wait till it comes stateside. I'll be able to see it a few more times. And then, of course, if you walk down 46th Street, you'll see the marquee advertise The Little Mermaid. Uh, I think that's another one of the shows that, whether critics love it or not, people will bring the family. Everyone knows the songs. It's just a child-friendly show that people will flock to see. Of, of course, all of this can work in a negative fashion. I think High Fidelity flopped because everyone knew the movie, and they just thought it wouldn't work on stage, even though, in some people's opinion, and after listening to the album, I tend to agree with them, it sounded like a fine show. It sounded like there were no problems, but I think people just looked in the paper and went, "Eh, I don't need to see that. Uh, I'm also worried about a show uh, that's being composed by a friend of mine, John Bikino, booked by Harvey Fierstein, based on a 1956 movie called "The Catered Affair." Now, I don't know how they're going to work this. I wish everyone luck, because I know a lot of people involved. I hope it's a success. I think that's the type of show that'll have to be really reviewed well, and people say, the critics saying that, this is great, don't miss it, because I don't think anyone will have any idea what this is all about. I'm wishing it luck, I really, I really am, because, because I love Mr. Bacchino's work, I think it's great, I love Harvey Feierstein's work, and our friend Leslie Kritzer is playing the lead, uh, so I wish it luck. I I just hope it works. I hope it gets good reviews and uh, I'm crossing my fingers for you guys. I also wanted to say one more thing off the topic that sometime around the middle of October will be the 50th birthday of one of the great shows of all time, West Side Story. It's the first show that I saw. I was, in case anybody didn't know, at the time I was 12 years old in 1957 and I became a total theater addict. It was written by Mr. Leonard Bernstein and a newcomer named Stephen Sondheim, who, by the way, a few, I think about three years later, was set to write the music and the lyrics for Gypsy, and Ethel Merman said, I will not have a little snot-nosed kid writing my score. So, Julie Stein came in to write the score, which wasn't a bad idea because he wrote one of the greatest Broadway scores ever. So, anyway, until next time, this is Marty Cooper saying stay on the positive side.
0: On the Positive Side is brought to you by The Colony. Online at colonymusic.com or in the heart of the theater district at 49th and Broadway, you can always say, I found it at The Colony. On the Boards. Parent and child relationships in the entertainment industry have uh, are very acknowledged to be true and cause a lot of drama, and it made the basis for some good drama. And at the two-person show at Nymph, Mud Donahue and Son just started the other night, so you actually have some time to catch this show over this weekend before Nymph rounds out. And we have got the two-person cast here with us, Sean Wiley and Karen Murphy. How you doing?
5: Nice to see you. <laughs>
0: You're, you just literally ran over here right after the show. so.
5: Yes, we did.
3: <laughs> we are ecstatic because, to be quite humble, we know we have a hit on our hands. Uh, there are many common denominators in this story. As you say, parent-child relations. Uh, tragically, the other common denominator, from as Eugene O'Neill has written so much about, is alcoholism. But it's also historically accurate, and it's incredibly entertaining. Uh, there with, were alcoholics back then? Well, there were. Just a few.
0: Really? I thought yeah. that was new. Yeah. I thought that didn't
3: happen until AA. No. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> nope. Tis the Irish. Tis the story of the Irish. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so what is the show about?
0: It's it's pretty much mother and son, but I imagine... Uh,
5: Jack Donahue was a vaudevillian. Um, he was about as big a star as, say, Brad Pitt is nowadays, um, back in the, uh, the, the teens, 20s, and 30s. Um, he wrote a wonderful... Collection of letters called Letter of, Letters of a Hoover to His Ma, <clears throat> and uh, it was published by Cosmopolitan Magazine in 1930 31, I think one of those years, um, and it's literally letters from this nineteen year old who runs away from home and joins the small time vaudeville circuit.
3: Letters to his mother. To his mother, <laughs> and her letters to him. So, so, so did you, you read you, these? Yeah, yeah. We did um, your research.
5: Good. Always, always doing the research. <laughs> So no, what's
0: what's the style of music, and and the, we don't have a demo. For oh, the flavors. flavor,
3: the flavor is of the period. A little, maybe a little Scott Joplin, and then a little bit of of of, oh, maybe a little honky tonk, and um, just a glimpse at what was coming from the world of 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 jazz. It's very tuneful. It's very accessible. It's very tap your toe kind of stuff with some uh, heart rending ballad here and there. Pretty much a to z.
0: So what's it what's it like work wise carrying an entire musical just two of you on stage? Huh? Uh, not, not much downtime, yeah, I would guess.
3: Yeah. Oh. Um, well, no, you're shut out of a cannon.
5: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's back and forth and songs and dances and I feel like I've lost I lose ten pounds every show. Sean
3: does a tour de force stop the show uh, tap number in the second act that I, Broadway hasn't seen I, 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 anything like it. It's it's really just a wonderful little gem. And uh, in under two hours, you get the story of the mother and the son and the growth of their relationship, and yet musical styles and dance styles are are introduced, and the humor and the um, the the Irish sensibility. It takes it, it. He lived in the Boston area, so uh, he Jack travels and references being in Lynn, Massachusetts, and Taunton, Massachusetts, and Woon Woonsocket, Rhode Island, and those were the days when entertainment was. Go. You had to go to the music hall. There was no radio. There was no television. Uh, not even phonographs yet, mm-hmm. I don't think. And uh, there was a great demand for talent. And uh, our show uh, represents. Now there's a great that.
0: demand for Paris Hilton. <laughs>
3: tragically, <laughs> tragically, not. we're going to change that.
0: <laughs> so, uh, what have been your favorite moments as you've been, you know, in the show? And
5: uh, I think the um, I think the collaboration. Um, Uh, Lynn Taylor Corbett, who is our director choreographer, and Doug Oppenheimer, who is our musical director, have, um, along with both Bob Johnston and Jeff Hochhauser, they've been extremely um, open to Working together with us and, and finessing things and and uh, so I think it 's been the collaboration I think it's just been it 's just been a fantastic experience one of those one of those moments i 'm sitting backstage last night as Karen's doing one of her numbers brilliantly by the way and uh, i uh, I was just thinking to myself you know i would I would trade being in a critical hit on Broadway for the opportunity to create something that is that is original, that is that is interesting, that is poignant. And 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 work with people who kind of have that same sensibility. It's I think that's for me has been the, the best part of this whole experience.
3: I'm a few years older than Sean. <clears throat> and uh, this this experience is rare. Uh, about the third day, I started to wake up in the morning and pinch myself and say, yeah, yeah, this is good. This is good. Most amusing really was um, uh, the creative team, uh, Jeff and Bob, have worked with Lynn Taylor Corbett on a number of shows. So they already had a shorthand, if you will, of communicating and of understanding each other's styles so that if – if, if um, if a suggestion could be made, there was already a relationship there. We already knew where the egos lay, which was nowhere, by the way. And I can remember looking out into the audience the third or the fourth, the fifth day of rehearsal, and seeing Jeff, the lyricist, sitting in the audience during rehearsal with this odd expression on his face, his face sort of wonderment like, oh my, this is going well. (laughs) And it continued to, and no one even talked about that till at least... The end of the third week of rehearsal, let's just keep, really? Is this really going that well? I didn't even tell my friends until the, uh, really the fourth week. I said, all right, I'm going to say it now. This really is good. This is a great product, and uh, it's incredibly entertaining, and it's affordable with two actors. And uh, I'm very hopeful for its future, and I'm very hopeful for its future in regional theaters across America, too. I think this is a great Great gem,
5: yeah.
3: very, very, very accessible to families, and very, very, um, very easy to love.
0: So were you approached for this show, or did you audition?
5: We both we
0: both auditioned. Because I haven't yeah. I haven't had a chance to ask any of the actors about what the audition process is like for Nymph. Was it like a, a group thing where you just auditioned for a bunch of Nymph shows, or did you pick this show to audition for? And other how did the process well I had work?
5: I had a number of auditions for different shows. Yeah, I, I had gone in for a couple of others, and um, when I when I got the script. Uh, I think they sent me like a, 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 a an initial version of the script, uh, just to give it a read. And they had you know casting director, and you you go in and they do a dan- They did a dance call. We learned two combinations, and then we sang and read. So it was like a real audition. Um, I don't I don't know what yours. I
3: was doing town in Rochester, uh, at at the Jiva Theater. I flew in on a Monday morning, having just finished eight shows. And uh, went in and auditioned and uh, felt wonderful about it. My agent had called me and uh, emailed me and said, okay, they're going to pay, they want to pay you $300 for four weeks worth of work. So you do did you, it for the money. Always. Do, Always. do, Always do you want to money. do this? And I too read the script and I went, oh my, isn't this lovely. <laughs> so, uh, and Lynn Taylor Corbett was, uh, 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 I had known of her reputation, Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, I just knew that it was uh, time well spent.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, the director definitely has a lot to do with how it's... By the way, you mentioned the writer's first name, so what are the writer's full names?
5: We should give them credit.
3: Uh, Bob Johnston. And Jeff Hoxhauser? I think... Is that how it's pronounced? Sorry, (laughs) Sorry, guys. We love you. Yes, we do. (laughs)
5: Um, And, yeah, and... uh, Lynn, um Lynn has Lynn has been a doll. Um, she kind of set the tone for the whole thing, and and like Karen said, I, I mean, I couldn't I couldn't do anything but second her, you know, her sentiments. It's just been a great experience,
3: and and much of it is shoestring. Uh, uh, this is set set about 1910, so we need to have items from that period of time. There was no electric iron; there had to be a uh, an iron iron and a, and a tin wash tub and it seemed yeah. whenever we needed a prop Lynn would say you know let me look in my garage and these things
5: Je- jeff may come have an in. iron in, in at his place <laughs> out on uh, out on the island out out um, but it, yeah and you know so it's just been that whole process of everybody kind of pitching gosh we got in. a
3: barn let's do a show yeah.
5: costumes are superb by uh, david oh, tozer very perfect um, And when Karen is on stage messing around with tons of props, I've got multiple costume pieces that I'm pulling out of a trunk and uh shoes and dummies and you name it, we do it. (laughs) Sounds like a lot of fun. It is.
3: Absolutely. Many, many, many laughs. And the humor is universal for all that the time period that it's set in and for that uh, uh, the 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 sensibility is Irish from my perspective. It's absolutely universal. It's it's a relationship between a parent and a child, and uh, and its growth, and uh, the humor that and and pathos that come along with it.
0: All right. So now, Mud Donahue runs through the last day of
5: the festival. I'm assuming the seventh. Do we
3: have a phone number? <laughs> yeah.
5: Well, you okay. we can go to www.mudmuddonahue d o n a h u e and, the word and, sun.com. And there are links on there to uh, uh, purchase tickets. It'll send you to Theater Mania or the, the Nymph website. We have there. two
3: shows tomorrow yes. at 4.30 and, and eight. 8. Friday is 1 and 8. Saturday Saturday's is 4.30. And Sunday one is 1 o'clock. So come <laughs> on down.
5: Yeah.
0: All right. Well, Sean Wiley and Karen Murphy, I thank you so much for popping down after what has to have been a very tiring performance to chat for our listeners, and best of luck with Madani. Thanks.
5: Yeah, thank you very much.
0: Top of the Trades. Magical Thinking moves to London. No dates have been set, but the transfer of the Year of Magical Thinking to the West End has been confirmed. Nicholas Hinter, Artistic Director of the National Theatre, has said that Vanessa Rengrave has agreed to move the Tony-nominated one-woman performance to London. Gypsy to return to NYC and Broadway City Center's on-course production of the Stein Sondheim classic about an overzealous stage mother Gypsy is in the works for a Broadway run it was reported by the New York Post that the Broadway transfer is in talks the show is said to cost 9 million to put up and is frightening to some backers because of the not-so-rave reviews given by the New York Times and the fact that a revival of the musical was on the Great White Way in 2003 a decision should be made producers said by the end of the week the Runner Stumbles at the Beckett Theater. The Actors Company Theater presents The Runner Stumbles by Melan Stitt, directed by Scott Allen Evans. Beginning previews October twenty eighth, officially opening November fourth, with performances through November twenty fourth at the Beckett Theater. Quote: Repressed passions flare. Could the anguish he suffers over his illicit passion for his Sister Rita, a young nun, have caused Father Reaver to commit the ultimate sin of murder? The truth, when revealed, is nowhere near as simple. Set in rural Michigan at the turn of the last century, The Runner Stumbles is based on a true story, quote, explains Press Notes. We have all the dates and times in the show notes for Volume 131, which you can find at broadwaybullet.com. Just click on Volume 131. (laughs) Top of the Trades is brought to you by Broadway World. Tune in to broadwayworld.com for all theater news and great message boards and community with the theater. Curtain Call. Tony Award winner George Grizzard, age 79, died October 2nd in Manhattan. Making his Broadway debut in 1955 in The Desperate Hours, he went on to portray Nick, the kooky teacher, in Edward Albee's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and went on to work with Albee on two more productions, A Delicate Balance, for which he won the Tony Award, and Seascape, his final collaboration with Albee and with Broadway. Broadway's lights will be dimmed for yet another passing star. You will be missed, Mr. Grizzard. Nymph is in its final week this week, bringing to a close their fourth season of new musical theater and landmark shows. There will be a closing night party on October 7th, 2007 to commemorate the past three weeks. Uh, it's open and free to anybody, and yeah, I'll be there. So uh, for more information on the festival as well as the party, check out Nymph's official website, www.nymf.org. And get out and check out the remaining Nymph shows. you got a couple days. It ends October 7th, and a lot of good stuff. All right. Well, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and until next week, I thank you for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet. It's just so
3: ominous. Like, oh, the Broadway, Broadway, Broadway.
7: wow! This could
3: really happen.
8: We're starved, so should an audition come up, we are so ready and raring.
7: So Jake
1: Kaczynski says my name, and I'm in the can. Ch- 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 Actually, the barfay ch- thing comes from my whole life. People just.
3: Jordan, Vulture, so it didn't take much though when he um, proposed, I said yes.
0: It's fun to know that those lines will stay in the show when other actors do it in the future.
10: The hairs went up on the back of my neck. It was a thrilling moment. Somebody has a fabulous story.
0: things with the audience and explore them a little bit. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc. to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans, if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to BroadwayBullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.